0: Andy. What's going on?
1: (laughs) I feel like um, we've been talking to one another a lot outside of the show
0: in the last little bit. I know. That's pretty weird. weird, eh? It's weird, but it's good. I like it. Um, I have a thing to tell you, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So today I'm like, I'm at home. I'm doing the studying thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a student. Let me put this Sunday to good use. And (laughs) horrible. Yeah. Outside my window, people start yelling. Hmm. Get the hose, get the hose. And I'm like, what's going on? So I walk outside and just two houses down a a car is entirely engulfed in fire. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if that's like a metaphor (laughs) (laughs) for like what's happening (laughs) in terms of covid in the world or something i don't know it was it was disastrous no one on the street had a a fire extinguisher including our household which is going to be swiftly fixed (laughs) rectify that yeah yeah (laughs) like where's where's the fire extinguisher we don't have one cool 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 um but the firefighters came pretty quickly which is good because this is uh we're living in the desert land of los angeles and fire spread easily out here so anyway taken care of but it just seemed like it should be meaningful in some way (laughs) I don't know
1: (laughs) well I I don't know if I've ever told you the story I'm sure I haven't but um so I'm um a big fan of Sean Paul which might surprise you
0: no I did not know that about you that makes me very yeah, happy. Yeah. What's your favorite song? I hope it's hot, sexy, punky because that's mine.
1: Uh, you know what? I I was listening to um, like the album that he went really famous with, uh, with all the like the tracks that everyone probably knows. Um, and I was really into the whole album. To be honest, I just listened to the whole thing as like a concept rather than individual songs. But one of the one of his songs came on the radio once, and I was driving down the four hundred one. And I rolled up my windows to listen to it. I think it was temperature because it was probably, I mean, it was on the radio, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it was long enough for me to realize that my car was on fire.
0: What? Your car? <laughs> the car I was driving. <laughs> oh, man. So you were like Justin Trudeau on on the highway? <laughs> really trying to make this metaphor happen. <laughs>
1: no yeah i'm not exactly sure i understood that but he I looked at my back my back window and the smoke right he's like i got the right temperature i'm like yeah this is such a wicked song oh my god my fucking back seat is filling with black smoke
0: oh that's terrible um well i'm glad you made it out of that alive
1: It was pretty cool. I I uh I pulled across the the three lanes of the 401. I was outside of of Waterloo, Ontario, and um I was driving to my cousin's wedding uh outside of London, and I I pulled over and as I'm trying to dial 911, I get a phone call. It was it was um someone we both know. It was Rebecca Rose asking if I was in town. And uh I was like, What the fuck? I'm trying to call nine one one, Rebecca. I'm trying to call nine one one, get the fuck off my phone. And she was like, What? And I'm like, I my my car is on fire, I need a firefighter. Anyway, uh uh it turns out that my brother was literally walking across the stage graduating from Laurier University at that moment and my parents couldn't pick me up. <laughs>
0: That's a terrible story.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So because of my cousin was getting married, other cousins were all going in the same direction. And so I ended up getting a a lift um, with another cousin who was uh, shuttling my brother's wedding present, which was a fucking tree because he was working at a nursery that summer. And the tree gave me hives. And then I had to go and do the rehearsal because I was the organist covered in fucking baking soda because my grandmother insisted on putting a paste all over my arms to get
0: rid of the hives. Okay. This story is, is definitely (laughs) a a metaphor for COVID. That's the end. First of all. Um, And also this is is the joy of having big families. I too have a big family. So I understand (laughs) the weirdness of that story. And also Nora, you sound like shit. What is going on?
1: Yeah. um, I, uh, I, I got the The nicest thing to get if you're going to get sick in a pandemic, which is a very light cold that is absolutely not COVID, although I didn't get a test, but I can tell you I can taste the wine that I'm drinking right now. And it just <laughs> settled on top of my vocal cords. And so this is the best my voice has been in two and a half days. So oh, damn! I know, I know, I know. I, I wish I sounded more like Fran Drescher, but I, I, I just sound a bit like, I don't know, like I've been smoking for like 10 years.
0: Yeah, that's accurate. That's what you sound like. <laughs> so that's going to be me today. Hopefully our, hopefully our <laughs> listeners don't mind. Um, well, and if they do, they can fuck themselves.
1: I mean, what the fuck?
0: Precisely. <laughs> I know that we have some people to thank and some announcements to make. So why don't we do that now? On Friday, a live show coming up at six p.m. Pacific, three p.m. Eastern. Um, no, Sandy, Sandy, Sandy. What? Sandy. what? We, it's
1: you're the other oh, direction. Sorry, I did it's the th- Nine
0: p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Well fuck
1: Eastern time. <laughs> Y'all are always <laughs> I'm I'm down with <laughs> Making that. Yeah, me yeah, get good. up
0: really, really early. I hate it. Anyway, sorry for screwing that up. Yes, it's 9 p.m. Eastern, <laughs> 6 p.m. Pacific time. There's gonna be a live show. Vancouver Podcast Festival. Look that up. Very exciting. And we also this week had our first two interviews, which were great and hilarious. And Yes. Uh, in one of them, we learned that we are actually headlining the Vancouver <laughs> Podcast <laughs> Festival, which we did not know before. So, bam, uh, congratulate us for that. <laughs> and uh, take a look at those articles. We'll we'll share them. We have shared them, but we'll share them again.
1: That's right. And you know what? We're pretty average folks, right? And so to find out that you're head- headlining a festival like this way is a bit weird. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I really wish we were there in person, but I think, you know, having the conversation that we had with both journalists this past week, we talked to journalists at the, at the Vancouver Sun and at the Taiyi, Sandy, it reminded me that whenever we do live shows, we are able to explain things in a way I think that is a bit different than when we're talking to one another, because there's a third person in the room who like, doesn't know, like, Who we are, what we do, or what we talk about. And I really appreciated those conversations. And this week, um, we're talking to uh, Vancouver Morning CBC Radio. Mm -hmm. So that'll be fun. That's fun. And then... I am going to talk on behalf of the podcast Radio Canada pour expliquer le, le podcast en français, ça va être uh, très fun. Et ça va être la première fois que j'ai parlé avec Radio Canada et c'est pas uh, c'est pas c'est pas sur les questions de l'extrême droite, la haine ou uh, la, l'attentat à la mosquée et à, à Québec. Donc uh, j'ai, j'ai vraiment
0: hâte pour cette conversation là. And I'm not joining that. <laughs> Conversation because while <laughs> I can understand most of the French that I hear, my uh, my confidence in speaking French is in the toilet. So one of these days I will work on that. <laughs> I used to be I used to be almost fluent, but this is where we're at now. Pamel, yeah.
1: Pamel Tremel. is how we say that, and we have um, as you said, <laughs> Mal. <Tremel. laughs> as you said we have (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah uh as you said we've got some folks to thank so i will um kick the show off by thanking alia Taya, sean rafiq actually we'll say hey rafiq uh from way back hey rafiq katie christopher katherine tyler and kat thank you so much for your support
0: Yes, thank you so much. Um, so this week, Nora, I learned that a cousin of mine has COVID. No. Yeah, he lives in Ohio. It's oh. Pretty, it's pretty shitty. Uh, he and his wife uh, both have COVID. Um, they're doing okay right now. Uh, but, you know, it's just, it's it's pretty crappy to hear when people that you know uh, have have, uh, have gotten COVID-19 uh, and it's also just shitty like looking around at what's going on in the media right now um, in terms of the reporting on how um, America, Canada, Alberta, Ontario all of these places are failing and I did a lot of reading this week and I, I find it so difficult to kind of cut through what's actually happening because I feel like the way that it's being reported is often like, you know, uh, you know, here, here are some critiques about how the government is failing, but it never actually goes into how the government is failing. Yeah, Like there's very little that's actually telling us exactly what, what policies are leading to that failure. And I'm finding that mind-blowingly annoying. Like I'm so irritated by it. It's like tell me tell me about it. Tell me more. And I'll read about you know uh different places who have gotten it right, but it won't tell me exactly what they've gotten right, and I just mm-hmm. I I'm finding that really really frustrating.
1: Yeah, like I look at the details every single day because I'm working on this book and I'm still updating my spreadsheet every single night. And so I feel like I have a pretty good handle on the kind of information that people have and that people don't have. And I totally agree with you that there's this opacity to how politicians, journalists, uh, talking heads are talking about this. And it, it shapes how we understand COVID in a very pernicious way. And so, you know, we've already talked about how it shapes COVID by... Erasing racialized communities in this conversation, even though racialized communities are bearing the brunt of this pandemic. So right there is a very profound distortion. And I saw Paul Taylor um, and a, a report coming out of Toronto again reminding Torontonians about how COVID is hitting racialized, especially Black Torontonians, harder than white Torontonians. Again, this is data that we don't really have in the rest of Canada, but we can assume that it's, it's following the same trends. It's the same trend as, as the United Kingdom. Kingdom, it's the same trend as the United States. But the, the the thing that I'm so fascinated by is just how little we understand about COVID in the workplace, because we've seen these stories of you know recreational centers, of um, other amateur sports, or religious gatherings, or whatever. But the reality is, if you look at where COVID is is spreading the most, it's still in the workplace. And so, for example, um, the Peel region got a lot of attention this past week because their percentage of people who were going for tests and actually having COVID was was very, very high. And that's a way of being able to tell how serious COVID is. It's also not a perfect way because it means like people that are sick are going to get tested. So, you know, it's not super surprising that people who are sick are getting tested and they have COVID. But that being said... Um, you know, in Peel, the, the, the infections are really being driven by workplaces because it's a place where 23 schools and childcare centers have an outbreak, which sounds like a lot, sounds really frightening. But if you look at the workplace or the facility outbreaks, there are 116. And Peel region is really important because it's the logistics heart of Canada. Like everything in Eastern Canada, especially, moves through Brampton. Everything does. Brampton is like, if. Well, if the 401 was a multi-track train network, which it should be, you would see trains everywhere, but you don't. It's like the access point to the 401 and everything gets shipped across the
0: 401. Yeah. For those of you who've never been to Brampton, there's literally a sign on the highway that says all roads lead to Brampton at one point when you're driving. And because all of the 400 series highways that uh, are operating in, in Southern Ontario, they're like really do converge in Brampton at some point. And part of the reason for that, too, is because of the amount of trucking that originates in Brampton and then goes out across uh, Canada and into the United States.
1: Yeah, Brampton's a really fascinating place. And Sandy and I both have really strong connections to Brampton. And a lot of people do because it's a really important uh, economic city. And you know, I'll just shout out uh, Gerbax Malley, who used to be the MP, the liberal MP in uh, one of the writings, in Brampton, the writings keep changing. Um, but Gerbax gave um, like a coffee table book of Brampton to uh, a friend of mine after a meeting. And uh, the, and the friend was from Brampton mm. as well. And then the friend gave me the coffee table book. And my kid insists on reading it for all of the age of four so that we could read about Brampton's airport which they ridiculously claim Pearson as which is not Brampton. Oh my god. And the Brampton Airport Flying Club which is more Caledon. Um and so I I've been you know I yeah they they're very proud. Brampton City Council is very proud of all those roads leading into that city um which makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it does.
1: But on these outbreaks, um, so 168 outbreaks in the region of Peel, which is not just Brampton's, Brampton, Mississauga, Caledon, and uh, a third of those outbreaks, 39, are in manufacturing and industrial work sites. 16 are in retail. 12 are in food processing, and of course, food processing has been a place where we've seen a lot of deaths in uh, from COVID. So, food processing being anything from you know making pastries to you know, Fucking cereal or whatever meat packing. eleven in corporate and office-based uh, workplace sub- settings. Eleven in food and beverage. Ten in distribution. Seven transportation. Four construction, and it goes down from there. And you know, it's just like how would this conversation be different if we were talking about how manufacturing and industrial workplaces have the the majority of COVID cases, or if we're talking about Alberta that tar sands camps have a lot of COVID cases and the folks that work in those camps don't necessarily live in those cities. And so they fly home and then COVID spreads out from these concentrated workplaces. Like why the fuck are these workplaces still open is I guess my big question.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's the the really bizarre way about the way that COVID is being reported on and discussed by policymakers and by media, it's like you know we're often hearing about the stories of you know fucking weirdos having protests about uh gyms opening up too early about weddings or what have you, but we're not really talking about um the insistence of. Uh, employers of businesses and quite frankly of the government on ensuring that certain really high risk um, forms of of employment uh, continue and I don't know what I certainly can't tell if particular measures have been taken to even try to scale back the transmission at these workplaces what I know is that You know, groups like um, the RN Association of Ontario have uh, decried the the, um, government for not doing enough. I know that uh, the government has released like posters and shit that people can Mm -hmm. put up in their workplaces. I know that the, the latest outbreak in Newfoundland and Labrador is related to... Uh, uh, someone returning home from working in what I assume was the tar sands uh, for a season. And so it's like, if those things are happening, you know, can the government just be let off the hook by just, uh, you know, putting out a few posters that make sure that people know to wash their hands when they're in a work setting um, and and then getting up on a stage and admonishing people for not doing enough and saying please 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 stay indoors and like, limit your your uh, relations to other people to ten or twenty or fifty or whatever it is this week it just seems like a really obvious way to look at what's happening if this is where all the transmissions are happening uh, and it just it also seems like a, a giant fucking hole that that's not the way. Um, that this is being discussed. I mean, until you consider capitalism and then you're like, oh, this all makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, look at Manitoba, which
1: is a province that did not really get hit by the first wave in the same way that many other provinces in Canada did. And throughout August, there was a massive outbreak at the Maple Leaf Factory in brandon so the maple leaf factory in brandon is the largest private sector employer the owners at the factory were like this is not a workplace outbreak our workers are just spending time outside of work together there's lots of congregate living situations lots of people carpool this outbreak has nothing to do with inside our plant the outbreak almost reaches a hundred people by the start of september a hundred people in brandon brandon's not a large city And who are the people that work at this plant? Oh, they're immigrants and they're temporary foreign workers. They're racialized people. They're low-income people. You read the Brandon Sun, and it's barely news that the largest private sector employer in the city of Brandon has this 100-person outbreak. And thanks to the work of local migrant worker justice organizations— in manitoba and in brandon specifically we know that workers were very concerned that the management did not arrange their common areas their locker room their lunch room in a way that allowed them to have distance to be able to make sure that if someone had COVID, it would not spread and so you know the advocates that are pushing and making sure that we know about this stuff they're identifying the problems but thanks to racism classism the combination of the two, chauvinism against people who don't have Canadian citizenship. The, the, the outbreak gets chalked up to, oh, it's just that community. It's just them. That's not going to affect us. And, you know, it ends September and there's almost no news about, oh, the outbreaks are going down and it's no big deal. People are healing. No one's died. Okay, that's great. And then all of a sudden, the Excelsior meat fa- packing facility in Steinbeck. Oh, they have a massive outbreak. Oh, and it's the same thing. Management's like, "Oh, it's not happening here," except workers start to die. Workers live in Winnipeg. They're going to Steinbeck to work, and it's just like, what the fuck? Like, is th- this is not? They're not producing at a level of sustaining the food chain. They are producing at a level that is normal, mm-hmm. so that Excelsior, so that Maple Leaf make as much money this year as they made last year, which means lots of exports, and so. There was no plant shutdowns. There was no cutting the workforce by 50%, paying everyone who wasn't working their full wage Mm -hmm. to be able to limit the number of people there. No, they were business as fucking usual. And what's the impact? Oh, Manitoba was set on fire by COVID infections to the point where now, like the north is being ravaged by covid indigenous people elders are being ravaged by covid across the province and especially in the north and it's like fuck you brian pallister you piece of shit living in fucking costa rica half the year because you don't fucking care enough about your province like what is it going to take for politicians to actually start talking about this in a way that makes sense and all we get instead is oh pallister other fucking leaders as well. Oh, you know what? We'll just police away this. We'll just have a curfew, and so anyone in the streets after ten o'clock, they'll just get arrested. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck you, and fuck that.
0: Yeah, I. It's it's really enraging how the media and policymakers have been talking about this, is because it does. You know, as we've said before, this is nothing new. It does let um, certain um, people off the hook. The government's policies on these things, on on how the pandemic has uh, rolled out in Canada, has been exceedingly favorable to very large businesses. I mean, you've you've seen um, on you know in mainstream media reports about how people are frustrated, uh, small businesses are frustrated, and so on. But you know, for for large businesses like these meat plant packing plants and so on. The, the way that the pandemic has been dealt with by politicians has been wi- wildly favorable to their economic outcomes. <laughs> they have managed, they have been able to continue um, basically unabated while the government uh, and media focuses on uh, individuals uh, saying, you know, this is, you know, if, if you don't stop hanging out with your friends, we're not going to be able to have Thanksgiving if you don't stop, uh, you know, I don't know, fucking getting married, you're not going to be able uh, to have Christmas. But nobody is saying, you know, if we don't limit uh, the way that uh, our these these large factories are engaging in the work that they're engaging in, we're going to continue to see these cases rise. And again, increasingly, what we're seeing is that these cases are continuing to to, in, to uh, spread at long-term care facilities and are continuing to spread where people work. And so why have we not seen a curbing of how people, how businesses are able to carry on business, um, quite frankly, uh, very much as usual um, during this time when the rest of us, by and large, have made significant changes to our lives? It's really really an eye-opener as to how much power capital has if you haven't thought about that sort of thing before. And it's so powerful that it's not even permitted to be questioned It can't even Mm -hmm. be an issue in the media that that gets brought up at all uh, or uh, by politicians. I mean, how popular would it be for a politician to say, well, frankly, these people should still be getting paid, but they shouldn't be going to work at the same level. Like, I feel like that would be a pretty popular thing to say at, in a time of pandemic. Like, we need to curb how many people are in the factory at a time, and we need to make sure that they continue to get paid um, so that they can continue to, to, to do what they need to do. And I mean, isn't that what the wage subsidy is for? Uh, why can't we just have that, uh, that discussion, frankly, um, uh, as we discuss what to do about the pandemic? because the bottom line of these big businesses would be hurt. And that apparently ain't allowed. Yeah. And it, and the
1: governments, all of our governments are trying to make it sound like this is our fault for continuing to go. Uh, I'm not sure what, I mean, I've, I have so few contacts in my life now that I fucking can't get COVID. (laughs) Like other than the school systems, I have no opening in my existence. And I I look at the way that journalists are talking about this and and the focus right now, especially in in Quebec, is on schools, like schools aren't safe, school uh, HVACs aren't good, and we need to fix all of this stuff. And it's like, yes, we absolutely do need to fix so much about public plant and infrastructure. We know that. But in Quebec, I know I read you the Peel region statistics, but in Quebec, Workplaces represent fifty-five point three percent of all fucking outbreaks. Workplaces, right? And then like residential care is sixteen point five percent, school fourteen point eight percent, guard of uh, daycares five point seven percent, activities and events five point five percent. It's still workplaces. And why can't the government clamp down on these workplaces? slow their production reduce the number of people working it's because they make too much money and the government needs them to make a lot of money because they are all in bed with one another I don't know if you saw this week Sandy that Gail and Weston's like third quarter shares went up so that they're paying out way more money to shareholders of Loblaw incorporated
0: yeah yeah I saw that and I also saw an article um, today about um, Pfizer and another company, another pharmaceutical company, who the, just the news of them working on the vaccines and their their projections of how successful they will be. The second company has never put out a medical product before in their entire existence. Um, uh, both of those companies... <laughs> in the news coming out of their vaccines, you know, the news coming from their own offices, right? That their vaccines are going to be super uh, successful. Um, Many of their executives sold shares in the tens of millions of dollars. It's incredible how many people are being economically successful (laughs) over, over this pandemic. And of course, That started from the very beginning uh, with with people uh, knowing more about the pandemic than they let on and making a lot of money uh, as a result of some sorts of trading um, that happened as a result of the kind of knowledge that they had. And this is like really ridiculous. And maybe you're listening to this thinking, well, what could the government do? do with these businesses like what do you mean by slow down production like what types of policies are you talking about like i mean there's so many and some that are like super super fucking simple like for example Mm -hmm. why the fuck are sick people still going to work Mm mm-hmm why the fuck are sick people still going to work? Because yeah. we don't have fucking rules in this country that protect people from having to go to work when they're ill or injured even. I mean, God, like, could we not mandate federally, provincially, I don't know who, who I don't care who you put this responsibility on. Make it even a fucking municipal responsibility. I do not give a shit. Mandate... Sick days. Give people tons of them. Don't stop at 10 or 12. Yeah. Go wild. As many as they need. Get Take as many as you need. Like, just, like, let's fucking try that shit. Uh, here's another one. You know, I, I know that where my mother works, um, and she works in a long-term care facility. With
1: an, with an outbreak right now.
0: I did not know that. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> with an outbreak right now. Um, you know, every time she enters... The building, um, you know, it's a slower process to enter the building because there are certain things that are mandated that she has to go through before she can go to the floor where she, um, where she works to start her work. Okay, and so I'm not here to say that what, which, what's going on at that particular place is is the best thing possible. I don't know. I can't. I can't tell you that. I don't. I don't know how to evaluate it. But I do know. That things like temperature checks and making sure that uh, people have the correct ma- types of, of PPE and taking that on um, as the government um, or taking that on as the employer has probably has something to do with um, the fact that uh, in, in terms of her particular workplace, there have been uh, less people who are workers uh, who have gotten sick. Um, generally i don't I don't know what that looks like in terms of uh um, uh in comparison to to other long term care facilities norra you might be able to tell us
1: it's it's very low it's very low even though that even though that location's been an outbreak now for the second time because it had a, a an outbreak period as well in the spring um there's still fewer than five deaths at that location
0: right and so I, I think that you know there's something to be said for um, taking control at the helm, like where where the employees are getting sick, the employer has a responsibility um, to make sure that people are not sick. And so, are, have it has implemented these these measures at the door. Can we not do that at factories as well? Why haven't hasn't that been mandated? Why hasn't that been mandated by the province? Why hasn't that been mandated by the federal government? It could be. Mm-hmm. It could be. For people who travel for work or who have to travel because of seasonal work, like, geez, if you're I, we have these restrictions, not really. We have some restrictions for people traveling inside and outside the country. Right. Well, if they need those restrictions traveling inside and outside the country, God, Canada is really fucking big. So perhaps there should also be some sort of support for if people need to quarantine, if they're traveling from Alberta uh, to, to Newfoundland and Labrador. Make sure there's a place where they will be taken care of and can be uh, in quarantine so that people don't aren't at risk once they leave. Like there's all sorts of policies that could be implemented on a federal and provincial level. And I mean, it it's it, I don't know, Nora, it doesn't seem that difficult to me <laughs> to just, you know, have a conversation about these things that could totally fucking work to slow this thing down, but we're never talking about that stuff. It is constantly like, don't go to the gym. Yeah, like, I just don't get it. I don't get it.
1: Yeah. It's really pathetic because, you know, you named some pretty easy things that the government could mandate. They could also mandate that every workplace announce COVID outbreaks. They haven't even mandated that, right? We don't have a consistent reporting requirement for outbreaks within a workplace uh sometimes we find out through public health sometimes not all public health agencies report this stuff and so you can live in a city and literally have no idea that 100 of your cases are coming from this neighborhood and how would that change yeah. your understanding of the pandemic how would that change aid would you pour money and resources into that one neighborhood if you knew that 80 percent of the COVID cases were there Of course you would. And COVID is not like evenly distributed. Some municipalities know that it's not evenly distributed, but then there's still no targeted relief. There's been nothing done in this country to mitigate the fact that COVID is injuring people who are not white at a higher at a higher rate. And so when you have a situation like that, when you think of a federal government that sent body bags to indigenous communities in Manitoba in face of the H1N1 outbreak 10 years ago, you know that the governments are just like fucking hanging out. They're just waiting. They're like, this will pass. We got a vaccine coming up soon. Galen and Weston still making tons of money. It's all good. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating because this is where we need journalists to not buy into this frame, to stop interviewing small business people about how fucking pissed that they are that their business is closed it's like sorry what the fuck costs you need covered rent salaries are already covered rent is kind of already covered insurance okay yeah fuck the insurance companies everything insurance should be frozen right now and the insurance companies should be paid to be able to insure us all and then what the fuck else is there utilities yeah those should all be frozen too Oh, but we're not talking about that. We're just like, oh, man, your favorite bar is closing. Fucking Disgrace Land in Toronto, which, by the way, is overrated and full of um, a bunch of fucked up situations that I experienced there once um, or many times. I won't go into that. But I've seen a lot of people pissed that Disgrace Land is closing because the landlord's kicking them out. It's like, yeah, that shit's that's that's shitty. But it's like. The government's not doing fuck-all to help medium and small-sized businesses, and they are like actively helping the largest businesses in Canada make a lot of fucking money off of this pandemic. And every piece of profit, every fucking dollar of profit that is made throughout this pandemic, it should be nationalized. It should be taken from every single private company and nationalized and put into a public fund to help us ride this pandemic out. But you will not hear the CBC say that. You will not hear CTV say that. You won't hear Global, the National Post, fucking Globe and Mail, Toronto Star. None of these... Well, you won't read the Toronto Star because it's behind paywalls. None of these corporations are going to say this. And it's like, it is not fucking hard. This is actually really simple politics. But we have politicians that are not only fucking, like uh not super smart i think is the nicest way to put it in some cases and in other cases they're very smart and they're working very hard to make sure their friends make a lot of fucking money jason kenney is a good example of that Mm. and i look at this as someone who is like you know fuck these corporations they don't need to have the fucking profits that they make every year they don't need to exceed profits rogers royal bank fucking telus fucking general mill like none of these corporations need to make any fucking profits this year they shouldn't make any profits this year except not only is the entire pandemic response tailored to ensure that they make profits this year but it's also tailored to ensure maximum external damage to everyone that is implicated in the making of profits and i have to shout out the fucking dominion workers in newfoundland labrador who have been on strike for 12 weeks helping galen weston to make even more money in quarter three because he's got a whole fucking province of workers who are on strike because he will not pay them a decent full-time wage which is just so fucking shameful that i can't believe that guy's still even alive
0: i want to explain to our listeners the politics behind the way that the government's been moving on this. Because I think that it's really important to, to understand that. Um, the politics that really underpin the way that the government has responded to all of this is the politics of neoliberalism and individualism. Like the idea that we are all individually responsible for our own fate, and if uh, individually we act right, then individually we will be safe and if we individually act fucked up we will individually uh, not be safe and Mm so so Justin Trudeau can get up in front of the country and say like hey we have a shot at Christmas if if people do what they have to do right and can can um, escape Uh, you know his own culpability or you know he has tried to place some blame on the on the provinces as well just by saying like you know this is this is your individual responsibility take care of yourself stay home if you're sick uh, wash your hands and and that's that that's like the myth of individual of of neoliberalism is that we we exist as siloed humans who can uh, create our entire faith our entire fates on our own. We don't we exist. Uh, human beings are social creatures. We exist in communities and in collectivities and we have to address our problems and solutions to our problems collectively. Whether we're talking about racism, it doesn't I don't give a rat's ass if Nora Loretto herself is not racist. I need uh, a collective response to that type of thing. whether we're talking about the climate, I don't give a rat's ass. If you uh, individually, turn out the lights or turn off the water after you brush your teeth. We need a collective fucking response to that type of shit. <laughs> Same thing here. Same thing here. The politics of individuality are ridiculous. It does not make sense to address uh, a pandemic individually. It's a fucking pandemic. The whole reason it got to be a t- pandemic in the first place is because we don't live individual lives the whole reason we have governments and the whole reason we have like this idea of representative democracy or whatever that's kind of a myth itself, but whatever, that's a whole other episode. The, the whole reason we have that is because we don't live individual lives and we exist as collectives of people, as pockets of collectives and as global collectives. It makes absolutely no sense to continue to blame or to try to point to individual people, whether it's youth or people who want to be fit or whatever it it is, blah, 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 as the people who are making this pandemic continue to get worse into a second wave and potentially third waves, uh, as the media is talking about. That's not what's going... It doesn't make sense. You can tell people as much as you want, stay safe, but if there's... The, if the collective, if the collective strategy is to continue to let businesses continue as normal, then it doesn't matter because individuals don't live individual lives. Like we are constrained by the way that the collective is organized around us. And so if our workplaces are demanding that we continue to come in even when we're sick, because we're not going to get paid if we don't come in, maybe we lost our other job because fuck it's COVID and we don't have that income coming in. The the COVID benefits are not enough. Then we're going to continue to go to work because we have to feed our families. That's a collective problem. That is a collective fucking problem. That's not an individual making an irresponsible decision. That's a series of fucking individuals (laughs) making or refusing to make the decisions that we need for the collective. And that's, that's the politic that underlies all of this stuff. And what's happened right now is that, as we said last week, like the, the collection of people that the government cares about, they're already safe. They've mitigated the risk as much as they can for them, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them uh, that there are other folks who uh, live in other pockets of communities and collectives who are going to be harmed by their failure to address this in the only way that it can be addressed Mm -hmm. collectively.
1: Yeah. I want to end the episode by mentioning that across Canada's North COVID is finally arrived, right? The first wave in a lot of Northern communities was shut out and now, um, now, unfortunately, COVID has appeared. Uh, there's several cases across northern uh, Saskatchewan, northern Manitoba. There have been deaths related to both uh, northern Saskatchewan and northern Manitoba. But across, of course, also across the ter- territories, there are uh, several cases in Arviat, in Nunavut. Um, and from there, there are cases that have been linked to Rankin Inlet and Santa Kiliwak. And it is going to be and is absolutely devastating because these are not communities that have the healthcare responses that southern communities have. People have already been medevaced out of some of these communities into ICUs in the south and I think that every Canadian has to look to the north and has to understand that policies from the south are going to have devastating impacts on northern communities and northern communities can't do anything. Northern communities are at the whim of government policies often that are racist and that do not allow Northern communities to have the, the, the services that they absolutely need. And so as, the, as the, the crisis continues to intensify across Canada, look to the North and look for calls for solidarity and support from folks in the North, because whatever f- we can do in the South to help um, folks in the territories and in Northern parts of our provinces Uh, We absolutely need to be doing because it is going to be devastating. It is already devastating for them. And politicians need to be scared into doing what's right. And so I know there's a lot of really great action that's happening in different parts of this country. Um, Don't let that stop. Scare the fuck out of our politicians into actually taking action. Because uh, I said this last week about activists in Winnipeg, and this is the case for activists across this country, The only thing standing between us and complete fucking annihilation, like United States level fucking COVID explosions everywhere, is our activism and is our solidarity and is our ability to scare politicians into taking the correct actions. Experts are calling for those correct actions. Some journalists are highlighting them and they're not hard. And any politician that says that they're hard needs to have a fucking swift kick to the fucking face or the nuts or the shins or the fucking ears whatever you know symbolically CSIS like hey what's up and (laughs) without that without scaring our politicians into action there's nothing that's going to happen and so I really hope that you know in the conversation you don't get completely bummed out about how desperate everything is and find interesting ways to be active while keeping yourself your community safe.